Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Amir Malikpour. And we are sadly drawing to an end of our coverage of Omega the Unknown. We're talking mm -hmm. Omega number 10 by Steve Gerber, Maris Greenes, and Jim Mooney. Mm. Oh man, just as it's getting good or better or the plot is turning, the comic gets canceled. Yeah, it gets canceled and, uh, but it's not, I mean, I think it's an interesting, if you really take it as the true ending of this issue, it might be like a, like an indie film, like, you know, like a French film, you know, like where like the ending is not always satisfactory and there's always questions, but you're all like, okay, well, that's how the world works. This is probably the best issue. It's, I don't know what it is. Maybe I, I got tired a little bit in the beginning, in the middle, because there are some fill-in creators. And then, you know, when Gerber and Scrinis came back, you know, I felt like they had to work to bring it back to the where it was before. And then I think this is probably like my favorite issue because it it actually kind of culminates and a lot of like parallels with things that we've talked about before. It's a tight issue too. Mm -hmm. It starts with Nedley's funeral, which is so sad. And then from there, like it feels like everything's in motion. And, and mm -hmm. the character motivations make, well, on James Michael's side, make a lot of sense. On the hero side, we don't have any idea what's going on. But it just feels like stuff is really moving. Mm -hmm. The hero, yeah, yeah. The hero one, there's, I, I see what they're doing. I, I see what the creators are doing. I know, I know what you're doing there. <laughs> it's interesting. Should we jump in? So the, the, First few pages here are the pages that I was talking about mm -hmm. before, where I feel like they're the, they're about the saddest things I've read in a mainstream comic from this era, I think ever. And mm. I remember so distinctly being 11 years old and reading this scene and just being devastated. It hit me mm -hmm. so hard because there was just no other exposure in the media to you know, people dying. And I had mm -hmm. grandparents die and, you know, aunts and, and uncles die, but never anyone my age. And seeing someone like Nedley, who is like just my, really literally my age, mm -hmm. was just devastating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way they tell the story, too, he comes out of the hospital and then poor John stooped to pick up a pencil and a playful boot caught him on the derriere. He dropped flat on the floor. Well, something came open or something. And then the event, he never got up. And we see James Michael's face just looking devastated. And then the really clever way that they want to place blame. Oh, the, the ambulance got caught because of a food truck. No, really, it was just the lights. It's just one of those things that happened. It's just like so incredibly tragic and so real to the world there creating in this comic for me i saw a little bit of a parallel not parallel but almost like the other end the mirror image of like Gwen stacy's death kind of mm -hmm. um in that like in Gwen stacy it was the hero's fault here the hero had nothing to do with it hero meaning james michael or like the omega hero like they just didn't even try i mean maybe james michael like didn't like the bully and stuff but there's nothing they're not involved somebody they know dies has nothing to do with them in terms of their influence 
and then here we are. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, um, there's like an indirect influence, but it's just kind of interesting. And then I thought it was interesting that um, the hero, the Omega hero, kind of looks like Clark, you know? Yeah, uh, super he does. Yeah, I, I don't understand why he's wearing glasses, but. Uh, well, kind of like super, like Clark, he's wearing glasses for, I mean, he has the, it's the absurdity of children's comics where like you still got to be able to know who it is so he has that little emblem the little headband that he wears as a hero yeah but then he's also wearing glasses so he could be like you know it's his alternate ego or alter alter ego like as a mild-mannered i don't know a bum a mild <laughs> right so some uh obviously jewish looking guy too at the funeral and he could he look more Jewish with his curly hair and and just that that appearance. Man, he looks again. He looks like my uncle's going to funerals with me when I was a kid. And I think it's interesting that like as I mentioned it, like you know how like you know um, Superman is like an immigrant from another place comes and he becomes a funk. You know, like a, at least originally was a productive functioning citizen of this country you know uh, he's what's more noble at the time in the 30s than you know you know exposing corruption you know and then also on his alter ego helping out the poor or like you know getting rid of you know whatever criminals and like i think it was like landlords that like you know that kind of thing you know the yeah. social yeah uh, social warrior or whatever yeah and, and in this one this dude is a bum. He basically like doesn't pay for his own apartment. He lives with Paps or what a Gramps. And then his first real like real life usage of his powers is to go gambling and winning at gambling. <laughs> he uses his powers like finally he learned that like by capturing the bad guy, he got a reward. So now he's going to use those powers to go gambling so he, he and grams can win some money because that's the most important thing in our society i swear everything about this hero is like subverting what you expect heroes to be mm -hmm. like the battles all through the series are kind of boring they seem like they're secondary to everything that the kid is going through mm -hmm. and like he never talks instead of being the super verbose character like superman was yeah there's i think you're so right on so there, there's, I got to read you this the excerpt from this letter in Omega number 10, because I thought it was so hilarious. It hits the, so well. Written by a man named Henry Kujawa, who I think did some work in the uh, professional or semi-professional work. But uh, here's what he says. I think this is great. Uh, the thing about the planet sent to Earth when he was a baby, it hit me. Look, the guy, the apparent father wears this headband. He has a red and blue costume, cape. Blue hair, yes, in his own crazy, demented way, Gerber has created in the series his own man of tomorrow. This is the kind of thing Gerber would do. And then the letters page writer, who uh, is almost certainly Gerber, says, you're right, Henry, it would be characteristic of Steve to create an entire series just as a practical joke. And Mary Screenus is even more mischievous and, yes, devious than Steve. Mm. So it was on his mind yeah <laughs> and his name is sam i don't know how that relates to clark or i don't know 
<laughs> but yeah, he doesn't want to battle. There's a weird thing where he's fighting the, the Dibuk in the desert and he's talking about the pillow fighting back, which I, I just don't understand at all. Mm. He's just not committed to being a hero. Who's Dubuque? Like, where do you, I mean, I'm assuming he's like they're letting Gerber you Gerber and Scranis use like just trashy, crappy bad guys. But is this like a character that's shown up before? Not as far as I know, this character never shows up, showed up before or showed up again. But you probably didn't pick up on the woman who attacks him in the hotel room because that's not explained at all. Did you have any idea who she was? No. This is a character named Ruby Thursday, uh, who is a villain. Ruby. <laughs> yeah, Ruby Thursday, who uh -huh. is a villain in Gerber's uh, Headmen series in Defenders from about two years before, and she has this crystal ball as a skull as a her head. She can change her facial features because of it, right. and she's got these weird tentacle things. Uh, they don't explain that at all. But it's a it like the fool killer and like Ruth, it's a callback to other Gerber stories. Oh, uh, okay. Interesting. But they never actually show her as Ruby Thursday. They she just mentions it at one point. Oh wow. Yeah, I didn't even know who it was. I didn't really do any research on her either. It's so cryptic, right? Oh, I mean, we don't know anything really about Ruby other than she was one of the headmen who are part of that amazing Defender saga. But uh, they don't delve into her much there either. She's just one of these enigmatic Gruber characters. Mm. Ruby Thursday. I know, right? Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is interesting how like uh, he's Superman, but he's the opposite of Superman. Total opposite. I mean, not total opposite. Almost like the He's not evil, but he's like, you know, self-serving. Yeah, he doesn't really care about others. Superman is out there loving the press, fighting yeah. for truth, justice in the American way. Our hero is just this guy who's more or less out there for himself. And also, like, another thing about Superman is that... Um, Oftentimes when people write him, they write him as somebody who's more human than we are in a way. Like he's more compassionate. That's like his, his superpower is like, but like in well-written stories of Superman, he is like, he's compassionate, he's loving. And, you know, he doesn't want to hurt anybody. He doesn't want to be self-serving. I mean, he could be a billionaire if he wanted to. He's smart too, but he doesn't do that. Whereas in this case, the first chance Sam gets, he's like, all right, let's go gambling or let me win that reward too that's the only way i would fight a bad person and which is kind of funny because i actually recently read one issue of gerber's he wrote a superman story i think we've talked about it briefly um the is it the, the negative zone or, or like uh, phantom zone phantom zone sorry got gorgeous and, art uh, by, by uh gene colin in it yeah yeah it was great and I, the issue that I was reading, I just went and I had one issue. I got it cheap, so I just was reading it. And um, it was Superman without powers, and he was still trying to help someone. He's like, hey, help me help you. You know, I don't have powers. I'm sorry, but let me try. Whereas in, in this case, Sam would be running away. 
I'll just call yeah. him Sam from now on. No more. <laughs> yeah, and definitely only caring about his own needs. Mm. I think it's interesting too how he spends most of this issue covering up his costume. He's wearing regular clothes. Yeah. And now the, the headband. The kids are running away, huh? Yeah, so again, and there's so much in that too. Like, I thought it was such a smart thing for Gerber to have James Michael say, basically, I've had enough of this Hell's Kitchen place. I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. And then for him to conspire with Diane to catch a bus and go off to the country to see what actually happened. Like, uh, it's really nice to see that growth in James Michael. Because mm -hmm. we've really seen a progression from him. He went from being this kind of wide-eyed innocent to this kid who's now just really angry, frustrated, confused. You know, we've seen the impact of him losing his innocence, and now he's really devastated by the reaction, mm -hmm. by his reaction to Nedley. I mean, if in real life, if you had a good friend who got beaten up nearly to death at your school, like it's a trauma you carry around for years. Yeah. And like we see that, that feels so realistic for him to react that way. Yeah, didn't they say like he also cried a little? He shed one tear at the, I think Amber yeah. said. Amber says that, or Ruth says that, and then Amber agrees. Yeah. So much for the punk's perfect record. Yeah. So think about that. Like his parents die in the first issue. And his his reaction issue two is, yeah, okay, well, what happens now? And here, like he's sad, he sheds a tear. And you can see it on page two, panel three, like he is devastated. But yeah, then they go off to the country. And uh, that's the scenes that I wish we had had a chance to see more of, you know? Mm -hmm. What do you make of all the stuff that they wander they can encounter in the house yeah no guest house it's such a huge house and they don't have a guest house <laughs> yeah living in the bay area even like 800 square feet apartments had a two bedroom you they can squeeze you can squeeze in another bedroom <laughs> yeah they say no 800 foot apartment yeah it's uh and it's like uh and then when they see the bodies or the robot bodies of the parents that's crazy what do you yeah. think they would the house is enormous the james michael and his parents never had any guests and they have a house that's easily ten thousand square feet mm -hmm. what do you think they have in the house aside from all the latest electronics circa 1977 Probably experiments. I would say the doctor had something, you know, like the, the hospital doctor has something to do with it. They probably it's I I I um I think of it as like an experiment place. It's not really like a house. It's like there's probably areas in there where they're like watching him and like at studying his behavior. And and now that these guys are back, at least now that he's left the house, I think there's probably no scientists left there or like everybody they, they left their research laboratory you know 
and these guys are breaking back in. Although it didn't look like that they're breaking in. They just, it seems like he just walked in. Because the thermo sensors on the electronic eye recognized his heat patterns. Oh, interesting. Because, well, maybe there's still people there. And had he continued the issue, maybe we would have found out a little bit more about it. Yeah, that's true. We don't know if anyone else was there. So you think that the doctor was connected to the stuff that was going on at the house? Not necessarily doctor, but there's probably some type of experiment or like some scientists studying behaviors, right? And then the robots are like, they'll fix him. You know, they probably did an experiment where like, okay, let's have him get in an accident. If the parents die, how is he going to feel? You know, mm -hmm. I remember uh, when I was a kid in high school, they used to have like the anthropology class. They would have these studies that they do in animals. Like they'll, these horrific things that in retrospect is like oh my god they're so terrible to animals but like what they'll do like the baby monkeys they'll take them away from their parents and they'll like see and test one baby with like a doll or, or like one baby that's just like hugging a doll and one that's with a parent and they'll say like what's the behavior change you know and i think i feel like that's the, those are the types of studies that they do with james michael and he may actually be an experiment in I don't know. I think the mind, maybe he is a robot that's they're trying to develop into like a with feelings or something like that. Yeah, I think that's part of them coming down to the city is opening him up to feelings. Yeah. Because he had such a like intellectual life with his parents. Yeah. Air quote parents. I'm not yeah. I'm not sure we can call them his parents. Now the the bus that they jump off of or they take to the place isn't it's from pittsburgh is gerber from pittsburgh is that right no he's he was born in missouri hmm. more or less from st louis he was oh, okay he was a friend not really a friend he was because he's quite a bit younger but uh roy thomas was also from that area brought him into comics hmm. because he they kind of knew each other somewhat from the area Gerber did fanzine and stuff from the time, but he's not from Pittsburgh at all. Jim Shooter is the one who's from Pittsburgh, which mm. is a little ironic. Since Shooter is the reason Gerber left Marvel. Mm. Yeah, I wonder. So my theory is that the hero is obviously from another planet. He's been escaping these robots. And he had always been fated to come to Earth at some point. And James Michael's in training on Earth to become the second version of the same hero. And that the, the parents and everything else in the house is about training him to become a hero who fits the Earth as a way of reviving this dead planet. Oh, so you think that this, oh, so your theory is that it's actually from those aliens. This is me. Yeah, that, that, you know, they talk in the first issue about the hero being the last survivor of the race. And this is James Michael's like the secret other survivor. Oh, okay. Got it. So and he, they had like kind of put uh, seeds down on earth, so to speak, as a way of uh, training him up to become a new hero. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, it could be, I mean, that's great theory. Um, uh, it opens it up because yet another parallel with Clark, right? or yeah. with superman is that like they're both from that dying planet this is a kid that's another adult and 
that that's the difference between exposure to earth and human beings versus pre-made adult who doesn't really isn't uh you know as a most you know isn't as involved with human like he's not a true hero yeah i again it's just a theory but my theory is that he essentially is being trained to be like the superman you talk about mm. who has empathy who cares about the people on earth who has relationships and friendships Mm-hmm. And then it makes it even more satirical that instead of growing up in middle America, Kansas, he's growing up in Hell's Kitchen, New, New York, which is, you know, like another planet compared to Kansas yeah. or whatever, right? This is like, you know, the red versus blue America in a nutshell. Oh, yeah. Well, the interesting thing also isn't like this is Pittsburgh is still not middle America, or at least this thing, right? Yeah. Well, oh, my God. Um, I was well, going to say, I just saw a panel where it says limit something Ville, Mallville or something on, uh, I don't know what page that is. Sorry. I'm, I'm looking at the trade paperback, but you know, the, the sec, the panel right before they get off the bus. Oh yeah. Limits. Oh yeah. It could it's be a Smallville. Whateverville. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. You're right. It totally could be Smallville. <laughs> I've never noticed that before, Amir. Limit Smallville. <laughs> so they actually, <laughs> they did, so it was, they, they did land in Smallville and then he's going back there and then he's noticing that like, that's not where true humanity is. It's, it's the metropolis that shaped uh, Superman to be the hero, not Smallville. <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> I love that. Because then also, like, if I take, if we take James Michael and the hero as being the Jews, maybe this is my Jewish bias, but Gerber is Jewish also, and he's got uh, definitely Semitic, both characters have really Semitic looks, right? Yeah, Superman also. They they came through, what's what's the motherland? They came through um, Ellis Island, they came through New York City, right? All my people Mm -hmm. came through New York City, or many, Mm -hmm. many of my people came to New York City and uh so yeah it's like a whole different vision of what it means to be american mm-hmm. it's a yeah. whole other concept of the the american immigrant experience yeah it's the it's coming through a city a melting pot of a city as opposed to like and not not to den- you know not denigrating the smallville one but the diversity of new york you know the not just with ethnic diversity but also socioeconomic diversity and you know cultural diversity helped shape superman metropolis and shaping um, james michael wow that's so yeah i i didn't go i didn't think about this before but oh my god that's so interesting isn't it yeah and he's trying to go back to smallville but smallville is hollow and it's not very limited. I guess it's very limited. It's grand, but it's limited in this case. And there's no emotional growth there. Mm-mm. Everyone who grows up in the, well, not everyone, but James Michael was stunted by growing up there. Mm-hmm. Didn't even feel real emotions. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually, this is interesting to say because Smallville took James Michael to a certain point. And then the parents or the robots or whoever, you know, the alien, with your theory, the alien, they decided like there needs to be another 
point of evolution for his personality, which is to go to New York and evolve with being like other human beings and understand empathy and empathize and those types of things. I, one of my favorite comedians, his name is uh, Patton Oswalt. He has this theory of like a lot of the great artists and creators. They grew up in small, small towns that there was no culture. And so they had to build their culture and then they realized there's more to it. So they like, if you like his thing is if you grew up in New York, it's, you know, you have like, you automatically get inundated with all these cool stuff. Like you don't get, don't take credit for all your, your knowledge, but he lived in Smallville. And then when he comes in, he, he's growing. He, that's the, where the growth happens, you know? And like, so you, it's when you move away and, you move away from the parents' house. You move away from where you're born or where you're, you know. So and you have to you have to kind of take action to really change things. Yeah. You have to change, yeah. take action to make yourself stand out. Where in New York, you can just be swept along. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, yeah. I think moving away and discovering new things, like he wouldn't have been able to discover a lot of things. And a lot of it, like, you know, I can take it from my own. Uh, being an immigrant like I would have never there are three things that I love you know not more than anything but three things that are like not you know not counting my friends and family and my loved ones three things that I love that are totally American that I would have never loved probably not discovered were uh comic books baseball and stand-up comedy American which I, are, I wish I liked jazz but that I don't three love. of your biggest passions right my three of my biggest, it, it would have been complete had I liked jazz, but, you know, I didn't get exposed to that. And then there's other things, too, that I've gotten exposed to that I wouldn't have gotten that are also like, you know, that I really care about that. And so that's what's happening to James Michael. If he would have stayed in, you know, Smallville, he would have just, he might have liked something else. He would have liked mathematics or something. But now he's like understanding humanity and friendship and he's even getting a little his friend to run away from our house which is not probably the best thing but rebellious nature which is not logical you know mm -hmm. empathy caring openness it's a really interesting theory though that essentially you need something to react against in order to really um, innovate differently think about the world differently it's that i mean i know there's um, a lot of different ways people can become successful in life and i'm sure plenty of people have been great yeah uh actors comedians performers well i mean i didn't yeah. Either, but yeah. but yeah the the drive the the passion for this stuff i mean yeah i can relate to that absolutely it's, it's not you don't even necessarily but i think uh for me the symbolism here is like you have to evolve past a certain point and go through not necessarily hardship but it's kind of like it's growth i remember when i was a kid they always said like if you're growing like you're getting taller sometimes your bones will hurt i don't know if that's true but the but the example of that i i heard this um story somewhere a long time ago. not story but this example of like is it shellfish or crabs um the reason they uh, shed their outer layer and grow new ones is because their body's growing and it would hurt, it hurts to, as their body's growing. And so they have to shed their shell for new shells. 
And so that's basically what I think that evolution is, that monolith change, that, that quick, not quick, that drastic change in order to evolve to the next level. And I think that's what growth is too, like, like natural growth, going from like an adolescent to teenager, to young adult, to adult, to like middle-aged, to old, you know, all that stuff, you know? In a certain amount of friction in order to um, push yourself past those the shell so to speak yeah yeah that's something they talk about in the running community a lot that if you don't feel pain after a, a long race then you're probably not working as hard as you should be mm -hmm. yeah fair enough i think for me when i exercise if i'm not sweating and breathing hard then it means it's not exercise yeah yeah exactly uh yeah that's so interesting and it's so easy to get complacent, especially when you receive a certain amount of success mm -hmm. or achieve a certain amount of success. And taking us back to the comic, Gerber was hugely successful at this point, but was never satisfied. Mm -hmm. This is a comic, and if we read Howard, we'll see it in Howard too, where he just never is ever completely happy with where he is in life. Mm -hmm. I think that's also so interesting. It's it's so easy for any creator to just feel uh, relatively complacent. I mean, that's one of the reasons, like I'm wearing my Jack Kirby shirt today. It's one of the reasons people love Kirby because Kirby just never stopped. Mm -hmm. He's never, he never just felt comfortable. And Whereas if you look at any other, almost any other like Marvel comic, especially from this time period or any comic, let alone other art forms, like there's a lot of complacency. I mean, Jack Kirby, right? He he evolved three times, right? Like, yeah. Maybe even more, like crime comics, romance comics, you know, and then the Marvel boom, and then moved to DC and New Gods, probably his you know second best work. You know, he took it to the high, an even higher level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a rare creator who could really do that. Yeah, it's a great final, issue. I guess there's one final thing. At the end, he gets shot. Uh, the hero dies. The last page of this issue is, has haunted me since I first read it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's such an intense ending. It's the one action scene in the whole series that uh, is really powerful. And to me, it's like the most visceral scene we have in the entire 10 issues aside from Nedley getting beat up. Mm -hmm. Woman, he jumps onto her car. Uh, she crashes into the light pole and the police are right there and shoot him down. I mean, just the intensity of those last couple of pages mm -hmm. is, is really powerful. And are they in Atlantic City? It's Vegas. Vegas, oh, so they went all the way to Vegas, huh? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and it's weird. It's like, is this even Ruby who he's beating up? Is her look look on page uh, 16, panel three? She looks like confused. Where'd you throw the money? I don't know what you're talking about, she says. Like, there's, there's an, a little enigma there, too. Is it Ruby? Is it a different woman? Yeah. She kind of looks a little bit, I mean, not really, but she looks a little bit different in that. Uh, maybe not. It's her. I mean, it's almost certainly her. Yeah, it's her. Yeah. And Mooney just draws these two pages so well. Mm 
it is really especially the last page has got so much black in it so much power and energy he's really doing a great job of creating like a lot of diagonals to add energy to every scene uh you know like the scene where she crashes into light pole is like an almost perfect action moment it yeah. just like feels so this is the this is the moment that feels like uh like a modern movie even yeah well here's the thing that last uh right after that crash that's a heroic like take out the dialogue it looks like he's saving her from the car crash yeah oh it's superman saving the woman it's like no next panel he's pulling her hair mm -hmm. and then the cops come and usually the heroes on the side of the cops and they they're fighting him and he's beating the cops up right and he gets shot by the cops and then the whole point of him going after her was not to save anybody. It was to get his money back. Mm -hmm. like not to save anybody. There's no, there's no heroism there at all. Yeah. The money that he didn't really earn, like it wasn't like he just used his powers to guess, you know, right? The gambling thing. He basically stole it from the casino. <laughs> he stole from the like. If he was a regular person, the casino mobsters would take him out in the back and beat the crap out of him. It would have been like the scene in Rain Man where the, the casino police say, uh, I, we think you're counting cards, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he was like pretty shifty too, because he was all like, all right, let's lose a few here so we don't, we're not conspicuous. Yeah, he's so clever about it. It's like, where did that come from? <laughs> uh-huh so so it, it's interesting and i think the end of it i know we were going to have more on this but the end of it you know take talking about taking out everything that we just talked about to me we could end here there's a possibility because i think of movies like chinatown i think of movies like carlito's way where the end the hero gets shot for no reason you know for a reason but like you're like well that's it you know, that's Chinatown. That's superhero movies. That's yeah. superhero movies. That's, and then they're in Vegas, which is like, a, to me, has always been like, you know, New York is the city that never sleeps, right? But at least, even in New York, uh, things close up at 4 a.m., you know? But Vegas, they don't sleep, and it's fake, and it looks like they have a New York in there. So, uh, yeah. yeah, this is actually right in the middle of the night. Yeah. 3.52 a.m., it says. So it's like four o'clock in the morning and all these police are out there. Yeah. So you're saying it's satisfying to you to just leave it as this mystery. Yeah, I mean, it's not, but I could see it happening like this way. No, I can absolutely relate to what you're saying there because I like to watch a lot of, my, my one of my big passions, especially lately is like, I, I end up watching a lot of foreign movies just because I enjoy them. Mm -hmm. and, oh, I'm, yeah. and I'm often watching movies that have no like clear ending or even where like the story is really told in a way that uh, is completely explained to me and yeah. I have to fill in the gaps and I really enjoy that mm -hmm. because it leaves me in a state of confusion but also in a way that like I don't need everything tightly tied up at the end yeah I mean, the last thing we hear from James Michael is, they're my parents. Mm -hmm. okay, I was thinking, well, 
I was thinking about that. It's the last thing we ever see of James Michael and Diane. You know, that's a happy ending. He got reunited with his parents. They're not <laughs> dead. <laughs> you don't have to be sad anymore. Well, he yeah, reunited, you know, like you could just end here and you'll be fine. Just you got reunited with his parents. It's great. They're too real to be mannequins and too <laughs> stiff to be people. <laughs> yeah. I have, a, I have a different story I want to share with you after the podcast. Okay. That type of ending, but yeah. Uh, so what? So after having read the uh, eight issues that count and the two issues that don't count, what's your overall feeling about Omega the Unknown? I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think see, it's it's not totally satisfying because they ended where they didn't want to end. Um, but I always wanted this this comic to be a like a finite one. If I if I have if, it, if I had my my way, I'd love it if they would just finish it and give us like I mean you know they could end you know they could have James Michael go and become a hero or whatever, and you know the hero go to prison from <laughs> jail for trying to rob the casino right. or whatever. But like I would have liked to have had that what your theory comes in you know, what the theory that you had or whatever they'd meant just to finish it in like whatever a 10 issue series or a 12 issue or whatever i know that wasn't the uh intention originally i think he was gonna they're gonna be in the defenders right yeah which but, it did finish but that has nothing to do with herbert and screenist work oh yeah i i like that i really enjoyed it i think it was there's a lot of great ideas i have a lot of respect for gerber as a result of this on uh, the parodies of Superman. I enjoyed it, yeah. Well, I, I would have, yeah, I, sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm really glad. I mean, it, it was so different from us reading those Jack Kirby comics. So I didn't quite know what to expect. I know you have, you're a pretty broad reader, Amir, but I didn't know what, if, what you would think of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm, I have the two Defender issues that come after this, but I probably don't want to read them. Can you shed some light on what happened there? No, I haven't. I've deliberately. Oh, you I haven't, haven't read them since they first came out. Oh, okay. They're extremely unsatisfying. Oh, uh, okay. I don't really have any desire to read them, aside from the Herb Trimpey art, but even that is not his best work. I think in the end, this series wouldn't be as well remembered by those of us who are part of the cult if it had a definitive ending. Mm. The mysteries are, I think, what makes it so exciting. Mm. And if it had gone another, you know, five or six issues and had a real ending and, you know, James Michael puts on the, and on the last page of James Michael was to put on the costume and become a hero and then, you know, eventually joins the Avengers or something. Would have just been another Marvel comic. But I don't think that's what would have happened. What if it would have been something like The Watchmen? Or like, what if it would have been something like, yeah, like The Watchmen or something? I mean, it's it's in continuity, but there's a lot of crappy villains in there that don't ever get used, so. really like that Watchmen analogy because it's like a proto-Watchmen. Uh, there's a lot of little things that are thrown in there that kind of pay off later on. I would have been curious what happens with Fool Killer and Ruth. It never pays off. Would have been in, so. There's a few storylines I think would have been 
interesting to see payoff. But yeah, I like what you're saying. Just keep it closed and keep it in its own little corner of the world. Mm -hmm. I also liken it to them. Have you ever seen Time Bandits? Mm -hmm. That's another movie, again, like open-ended. You're all like, what the hell happened here? It's like the ending of that movie i gotta re-watch that that's on criterion i think i gotta re-watch that i don't want to ruin the ending but the ending is very similar to this it's like oh that's not satisfying and i saw it as a kid but i loved it it's this adventure and you know he could just end up the same way like i think gerber wouldn't have taken he was he wasn't going to be superman i don't i don't think so. i mean that's a good theory and i enjoyed your theory and maybe you should make that you know that that comic uh, the bootleg comic written by Jason Sachs, but <laughs> but uh, I don't think it would have been. I mean, it hasn't been, uh, you know, standard comics procedure so far. So, by the way, did you know there's a Time Bandits comic with art by David Lloyd? I think I, I I do. I want. I may own it actually. I may have bought it. There's one issue. Yeah, just a one shot. I may have it. It's not great. <laughs> oh, too bad. Early David Lloyd. I mean, it's not his fault. I think it's story. I own it. All right. Cool. You had a great series. I'm really glad we talked about it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you, Amir. Next time we'll do something else. We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jason. It was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you.